following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and earth He created were perfection in every way. As He created everything that is, including us, everything was perfect. There was perfect harmony between God and His creation. There was perfect harmony between man and the creation. Harmony between man and woman. But then something went terribly wrong. Sin and its curse was introduced into the world through disobedience, rebellion, mistrust, temptation. And then all that perfect harmony was destroyed. Now there was no longer harmony between God and His creation. There was no longer harmony between man and creation. There was no longer harmony between man and woman. Everything was cursed. And it was at that point in history, in human history, when God Almighty, the Creator of everything, came down to hand out punishment, consequences, for everything that had happened. And if you're tracking with our historical record... You can look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and you will see the very first mention of the promise of God to send a Redeemer, to send His own Son who would come and rescue not only all of humanity but all of creation. And so from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of the Old Testament, to the very last verse of Malachi, chapter 4. There's a promise, there's a looking forward to this Redeemer, this Deliverer that would come, that was promised by God. And then there are 400 years of silence. But then, one day, teenage girl was visited by an angel. And many other angelic visitations took place. Many other messages were conveyed. And this promise that had been thousands of years even in the making was now going to be realized because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John we see a record of Jesus the Messiah being born in a humble stable 
raised as a, a nobody in human terms, cast out, rejected by many. In fact, John's Gospel would even say in, in, in John chapter 1 that he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so, now this promise has been fulfilled. Jesus is on the scene. And He not only would appear in a fulfillment of God's promise, He would fulfill every tiny detail of God's plan. He would live a perfect, obedient life, free from sin, despite all the temptation. He would then be wrongfully accused be convicted of under false charges, he would be tortured, beaten, and ultimately crucified for us. He paid a penalty that he did not owe. He paid for sins he never committed. He was a substitute, the perfect Lamb of God. And he, he was killed. Because that, that's our sentence. That's our penalty for who we are. But Jesus took that on Himself. He volunteered. And then He was buried in a borrowed tomb. You know why it was borrowed? He only needed it for the weekend. Yeah. Because Sunday morning, He walked out of a tomb victorious having defeated death hell the grave the curse of sin everything and by the way the stone wasn't rolled away so he could get out it was rolled away so we could get in he publicly showed himself for 40 days to more than 500 witnesses to verify his bodily resurrection then he ascended back into heaven. When you read Acts chapter 1 and you see uh, the, the last words he said before he went back to his rightful place at the throne of God. He told his disciples, and by extension all of us, he said, uh, it's not for you to know when these things are going to happen, all these questions you have, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Then He went back to heaven. He gave us orders. And from that point forward, from Acts chapter 1, the beginning, Acts chapter 2 then, the beginning of the, of the New Testament church, from that point to the end of Revelation, we're looking forward again. We're looking forward to when this king comes back from glory. And this time he's not coming in a, in a humble way. He's not going to show up as a baby. He's going to be riding on a white horse with a sword in his hand. And he's going to finally culminate this victory. And he's going to take his church to heaven. And he's going to destroy the enemy once and for all. All things will be restored. 
how they were meant to be. What I've just told you is the true story of all of history. It's the true story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is literally good news. Now why does that matter so much? Why does that, that story, those truths, why, why does that matter so much? Well, in the last part of Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see some principles. Some principles of Christianity. Some things that Jesus does and says and, and kind of lays out this foundation and by watching and seeing what he does <clears throat> excuse me and what he says then we're going to be able to take for ourselves some points of application to say okay um, Jesus did this and did and so I, I think okay he's telling me I need to do these things he's calling us to do some things he's laying a foundation a very strong foundation. So I'm going to read for us from Matthew chapter 4. I'll begin in verse 12. Go to the end of the chapter. And this is going to set the stage for the most extensive teaching Jesus ever did while He was on earth, the Sermon on the Mount, which begins in chapter 5. And we'll start on next week. But today, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, going down to verse 25, here's what the Bible says. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a, a light dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, 
And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Father, in Jesus' name, would you open up our minds? Would you open up our hearts? Would you give us understanding of your word? And would you give us discernment that leads us to obedience? Please be gracious to us, Lord. If you do not act upon us today, then we truly are helpless. So I pray your spirit would would work and that we would be cooperative and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three very distinct moments in this text today where Jesus calls for some things. I, I didn't really know how else to introduce the text today other than to just <clears throat> tell the story of the Gospel. Just share the Gospel. Maybe in a little bit more detailed way but still somewhat general. Because the Gospel, the, the truth about Jesus, about who He is, who He came to be for us, all He did, that truth is the foundation of our faith. And so if we don't know the Gospel then we can't believe the Gospel. And if we don't believe the Gospel, we can't be saved. It's just that simple. You have to know the truth about Jesus and believe the truth about Jesus. You have to trust in Jesus and His sacrifice for our sins. That is how we are blessed with salvation. We don't earn it. We simply trust in the One who earned it for us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 are are some of the clearest words about our salvation. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a work of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. It's a work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is in a unique position to call for some things, and He does so in this text. And so I just want to walk through it again, maybe a little bit more detail. I read through it, and I want to walk through it and show you the things Jesus is calling for, and so we can then apply this stuff to our lives so maybe we can get a little closer. We want to get a little closer to Jesus. The first thing Jesus calls for is repentance. Jesus calls for repentance. 
From verse 12 to verse 17, we're seeing what Jesus is doing, where He's going. He heard about John the Baptist being arrested. If you want to see that part of the story, you actually have to go forward to Matthew chapter 14. So if you'd like to take notes, you can jot that down. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 3, you'll see when He's kind of reflecting back how John the Baptist got arrested and why he got arrested. And Jesus heard about this at this point in his life. He had just been baptized. He had just been tempted by the devil and come out the other side. And now he hears John the Baptist is being taken into custody, so he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth. He lived in Capernaum. And the Bible gives the name of some territories there in verse 13. Why is this important? One writer said that when Jesus went into Galilee, his move was an answer to Herod. He took up in Herod's territory the work which Herod had tried to stop by arresting John the Baptist. He began his ministry with a challenge, not a retreat. Not to mention the prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 9 Does that sound familiar? The people who were in darkness have seen a great light. Those who were in the land of shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. Verse 16. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. And by the way, Galilee, where he went, there's a lot of non-Israelites there. He began his ministry in that area. See, God doesn't act in accordance with with the expectations of people, even religious people. He does His great work among the lowly and the despised. So Jesus began His ministry among people whom the religious leaders of the day had neglected. Isn't that interesting? He began by ministering to those who had been Neglected. Neglected by the church. So we don't need to overlook the importance of what Jesus began to do in verse 17, which is the last verse of this particular paragraph. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what did He preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, People of that day didn't understand how true that statement was. Because Jesus was standing there. When Jesus is personally telling you to repent, the kingdom of heaven is right there. Because He's standing there. He is the representative of the kingdom of heaven. And and He's standing in front of us saying, repent. That's the first message he preached. Repent. So what do you suppose we should do? Repent. That means turn. Literally, that's what it means. Turn from our sin. Turn toward Jesus. If there's anything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus... You need to turn away from that and turn to Him. And, and I can just tell you, 
the more I read and the more I studied and the more I wrote down, the more notes I made. I'm just give you an insight into my my week. The more I did those things, the less I I wanted to preach this sermon. Because I didn't like where it was taking me. Because it was taking me to a mirror to stand there and say, you're going to stand up there? This is how our enemy works, just in case you didn't know. Whispering. You're going to stand up there and you're going to tell people that the Bible says to repent? Pot, meat, kettle. Now, that was not the right place for an amen, okay? You just need to rethink that. Repent. That's what God calls us to do. That's what Jesus preached. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus also calls for disciples. That's the second thing we see here in verse 18. Jesus is walking. He's walking through this area now where he finds himself by the Sea of Galilee, the text says, and he runs up on Simon Peter and Andrew, brothers. They're fishermen, so they're casting their nets into the sea. And Jesus says to them, follow me, follow me. Literally, that phrase, literally translated, come here after me, come here. So, follow me. So what did they do? Well, they had a little meeting and they said, alright, so what should we do? I see all the heads shaking like this. Why are you doing that? That's not what happened, is it? Jesus said, follow me. Well, guess what? Their fishing trip was over. And by the way, it wasn't a fishing trip. That was their business. That was their livelihood. And that was done with. They were on to a new chapter. So, Jesus called them to follow him as disciples. Now, bear in mind, Leon Morris is really good right here. He gives us some insight to this call. He says, Jesus is not inviting them to a pleasant stroll along the seashore, but he is inviting them to discipleship. And the two knew enough about Jesus to realize that his call was not to be taken lightly So they obeyed immediately. And understand, this is not the first time from all appearances. This is probably not the first time Simon Peter and Andrew had seen or heard about Jesus. So this was not like a total stranger just walking up, Hey, follow me. Because, you know, no. But this was Jesus calling them to a life of discipleship with him. And so they obeyed. But then right after that, Jesus comes across, verse 21, He comes across two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they are with their father, and they're mending their nets. They are also fishermen by trade. And the Bible says in verse 21, 
and He called them. This is a little bit more profound, right? Because Dad's standing there. They're all working together. And look at verse 22. This is almost like a little comic relief, but not really. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So you, you know, I would want to have a little interview with Zebedee and say, hey, what, what was up with that? Your boys just left, left you with the nets. You didn't get called, they did. So I guess you're past your prime and you've got to carry on the fishing business, but they're gone. They left the boat and their father. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote one of the best books ever written, in my opinion, by a man called The Cost of Discipleship. It's heavy reading. It's really good. At the very beginning of the book, Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, when Jesus calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Literally, no. Die to yourself. Die to your plans. Die to your priorities. Die to your wants and desires. And come follow me. Because see, one thing that they had to understand, these disciples, as they followed Jesus, they learned this. And something that we also need to learn, when Jesus says, follow me, Here's what's not happening. Please, you've got to hear what I'm about to say because this hurt my feelings a lot and I want everybody to be having hurt feelings like I did. Okay? Because I don't want to be by myself. When Jesus calls someone to follow Him, He is not asking us to add Him as another part of our lives. That's not how this arrangement works. When Jesus calls someone and says, follow me, what He's saying is, your whole life is about to change. Because everything in your life is going to be reordered because I am the number one priority over everything else. Over everyone else. Now, now this part right here, about allegiance, devotion to Jesus is supposed to be stronger than any other earthly attachment. So I wanted to pause here for just a minute because I really wrestled with this, especially even last night. I'm reading over this multiple times and I was like, how, how am I supposed to say this? Because this, this, this is not necessarily pleasant. I don't know how to say it other than just to say it. But we really need to understand, I believe, more fully the implications of this principle for our daily living. What does it mean for us to give our full allegiance to Jesus? How do we, how do we live that out in practical terms? And the answers to these questions are far less comfortable than we might hope. And those answers could also prove to be very inconvenient depending on our level of devotion. 
So maybe the best way for us to internalize this principle would be to consider several other questions. For example, does Jesus mean more to me than my family? Does Jesus mean more to me than my spouse? Does Jesus mean more to me than my children? Does Jesus mean more to me than my job? Does Jesus mean more to me than my hobbies? My and I'm, I wrote stuff here for me. My football or my sports or my hunting or does Jesus mean more to me than those things? Now understand what I'm not saying. This is not a, a contest, and this is not to say, well, you can't, you can't like those things anymore. You can't do those. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. If I don't love Jesus more than anything else, then I will never love my wife the way I'm supposed to. If I don't love Jesus more than everything else, I will never love my children like I should. If I don't love Jesus more than everything else, I will never perform on my job like I'm supposed to to honor Him. If I don't love Jesus more than everything else, then... I will seek to replace Him with hunting or ball games or watching football or going on the lake. None of those things are bad. But they're not more important than Jesus. And I fear, because of our culture, we have been lied to, and we have many in our world, it appears mostly in the West, in the, in the United States, we have believed a lie. And I'm a, all right. I believe church, worship, gathering to be with God's people to worship Jesus should be the reason we miss everything else. I don't believe that other things, other pursuits, are even in the same conversation as worshiping Jesus. And the reason why I believe that is because Jesus died for me. And therefore, He has no competitors. Now, does that mean we are judged by our church attendance? Certainly not. Certainly not. Here's what it means. Where does Jesus fall on the priority list? That's what it means. Nobody's getting to heaven or being kept out of heaven 
because of their church attendance or their Sunday school attendance or anything like that. But, at the same time, those things are indicators. That's all I have to say about that, because that's all the text says about that. Jesus wants disciples. He doesn't want curious fans. He calls for repentance. He calls for disciples. Jesus finally calls for service. He calls for service. The Bible says in verse 23 that He then went throughout all Galilee. Remember, um, not a lot of Israelites in that area. And, And what was He doing? He's teaching in the synagogues. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and affliction among the people. And by the way, His preaching, this gospel of the kingdom, that's going to be the central subject of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, coming up. The gospel of the kingdom. So that's what He's doing. He's he's traveling throughout all Galilee, walking around, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction among the people, which means He's addressing spiritual needs and physical needs. And so because of what He was doing, His fame spread throughout all Syria. So people were bringing Him people who were sick, oppressed, or possessed. He was healing everybody. Now here to me, as we finish this up, this is the most interesting and yet um, troubling verse of all this. Verse 25, the very last verse. The Bible says, Large crowds followed Him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, large crowds followed Him. That does not say that the large crowds were all His disciples, followers. It just simply says large crowds were following Him. Just following, like following the crowd. Okay? So you understand the distinction? He called disciples. He called Simon Peter and Andrew. He called James and John and eight others to be His disciples. And there were other disciples, in a general way, those who were devoted to following Him. But there were large crowds just following. You understand the difference? Alright, so let me, let me conclude. They were curiosity seekers. They just wanted to see what was going to happen next. They weren't disciples. They were just kind of hanging out. Hey, it's like the circus come to town. Hey, something's happening now. Let's go check it out. Let's go see what's happening. I'm curious. Okay, that, That's what we're looking at here. Friends, I believe there are many people 
in churches all across this country and many more people all across the world who are following Jesus, not as disciples, but as curiosity seekers. They're not Christians. They don't necessarily even believe Jesus is who He says He is, but they just don't want to miss the latest sensation. They just want to see what happens next. And so if there is a call or a conviction point to this text today, I believe it's this. Where do I stand with Jesus? How am I following Jesus? Am I just curious? Do I just want to see what's going to happen next? Am I in the crowd that day when He feeds 5,000 men plus women and children? And I'm not necessarily following Him because I belong to Him, but I'm just there because, hey, guess what? He just gave everybody a free meal, and that's pretty cool. So maybe I better hang out again, so maybe it'll happen again. just want to see what happens next. What's in my heart when I think of Jesus? Where does He rank in my list of priorities? Am I just kind of hanging out with the crowd? Hey, I wonder what He's going to say today. I wonder what will happen today. Well, Jesus says a lot of things. I can tell you the first thing He's going to say because He says it every day to people everywhere. Follow Me. Repent. Follow Me. There's, there's, you will never meet anyone ever better than Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.